I'm drunk. You're drunk. Everybody's drunk. All right. So this is our special episode. Um, this is going to be between our normal two-week time period, and we wanted to talk about the homebrewing conference. Um, so we brought Casey Price in to discuss all the things that he found, things that he observed, things that he tried, etc. How about so we have how many, uh, o- how many other uh, beer podcasts put reporters on the scene? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We're, we're differentiating ourselves. But uh, <laughs> why don't we go ahead and give a quick introduction from everyone here? Yes, I so. am uh, Christopher Walker. I am Brittany Lee Walker. I don't know how to do this. I'm in the wrong spot. <laughs> You're Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, no, I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Casey Price. All right. So, Casey, the home brewing, home brewing convention or whatever it was actually called. The there was a reason American you missed jury in our house. Home brewing. Is it conference? Well, the National Homebrewers Conference is what it used to be called, uh, NHC, and this year they actually changed the name to HomebrewCon, which there were some snob remarks even from some, you know, setting aside of some of the governing committee, and and whenever they said HomebrewCon up up at the stage, they went, yeah, it's National Homebrewers Conference. (laughs) So everyone kind of that had been going for for a long time still wanted to stick with that NHC logo instead of HomebrewCon, the rebranding. NHC is something else, isn't it? Yeah, if you type in NHC on on Google, you definitely get a different. Uh, well, let's uh, find out. <laughs> NHC. Let's go. <laughs> National Hurricane Center. All right. Well, well that's you know, fair. <laughs> National Healthcare Corporation. National that, that Housing makes... Conference. What? <laughs> These are the full names, not just other NHC abbreviations i've seen but these are the the, the top two i've seen the top three i've seen yeah kind of it was it was diff, difficult to uh search online you always had to put nhc beer mm. um so homebrew con's the new name um took place in baltimore june 9th through 11th i think it was the 38th annual homebrew con mm. or uh nhc uh, cool. Next year, it's going to be in Minneapolis in June 15th through the 17th. Uh, that's 2017, in case you're listening to this in the archives. Um, Why do I know? Do I know? Minneapolis. Is that where the Mighty Ducks took place? That no. sounds right. I don't sure. believe it is. Uh, whatever. Sorry, I'm trying to think of what, like, what, do I, what do I know about Minneapolis. I would love to go to Minneapolis because uh, apparently it's a big um, Finnish... <laughs> Like people who move from Finland to go there, there like you, go. you can, you know, you say it's a big on the street area. this year. Yeah. So I feel like uh, next year I should actually be able to go in and get the media credentials uh, instead of paying for my ticket. Right, there you <laughs> oh, go. Man, we totally can, can't we? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't see why not. They definitely had a, a booth there for the media, so um, huh. we'll, we'll we'll try that next year. <laughs> So this year, like I said, Baltimore, um, really great breweries in the area. Uh, one of the, the key breweries was Flying Dog. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. Love them. So that's, yeah, Flying Dogfish Head was in the area. Uh, Flying Dogfish so, Head? Flying Dogfish Head. Um, All right. The, the, speaking of Dogfish Head, the introduction, um, I guess, what is it? The, the keynote. Keynote, keynote, yeah, keynote yeah. speaker was Sam Calgione from Dogfish Head. Um, he was there with the governor of Maryland, actually, uh, Larry Hogan. And between the two of them, um, Larry Hogan signed in some proclamation that made the, the time there in Baltimore homebrew days 
in uh, the state. So that was pretty cool. Huh. Um, a lot of baby kissing uh, <laughs> and and shaking of, some hands. A lot of kissing some hands, shaking some babies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, did, he did say that in the state, the number of breweries had grown from 25 to 60 in just the last three years. Wow. So, oh, that's wow. impressive. He uh, he's apparently pretty forward in craft brew, and pretty all of his legislation has been really supportive of beer and brewing in general. So, um, hand to him for doing that. Uh, Sam Calgione, normal wacky self, not really uptight or formal. You know, he was he's going great. back and he had yeah. his slides, but he was really going back and forth through them. Acted like it was more like a, a here, let me show you what's going on in my family picture album. <laughs> and uh, he he had a bunch of his photos from back in his home brewing days and whenever he first started out. And he was like just going through and, and showing his photos. Um, he had one with uh, Michael Jackson, the beer writer. Oh, his past that's now, but yeah, the beer. You, you always have to qualify that every time. Like it, I should know by now that it's never, <laughs> it's never the late king of pop. No, 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 no. Uh, but he was. You kind of went back through, and he was. He was talking about how whenever he first started up, he was his first homebrew store that he went to was there in Maryland, and and whenever Dogfish had first started, he would go and buy the ingredients for the business at the homebrew supply store. And the funny story behind that he was telling was, uh, you know, the guy who uh, I think it was Maryland Homebrew Supply is the name of the place. But he would he would go and pick up his stuff and he was buying all this grain and, and, you know, almost a pallet load of grain, I think. And, you know, he was asking, why? Why do you need this? And Sam said, you know, I'm starting my own brewery. And he was real proud of it. But uh, after he walked out, the guy later confessed to him. He said, whenever you walked out, I told my wife, well, he's not going to last a year. (laughs) <laughs> and so the guy uh, eventually showed him how to buy at cost and not with the markup and everything and helped him out a whole lot. So that little homebrew store probably is one of the big reasons that we do have Dogfish Head now. Sounds a lot like, uh, as we had just been talking about, uh, Listerman in Cincinnati, yeah, where they started as a homebrew club and really helped a lot of people get on their feet in this area. Yeah, the vast majority of brewers, um, unless you went directly from school into some program and went to a like a national multi-million dollar brewery, you probably were a home brewer to start off with. So Flying Dog, one of the main um, breweries in the area, we went to uh, watch the Orioles the night before we went to the conference, and they won. It was great. Um, Where they were serving heavy seas? They were serving heavy seas. And uh, Flying Dog, Heavy Seas, um, I did not find any Natty Bow, which is sort of the the PBR of the area. Uh, <laughs> National Bohemian is the, the full name. Good Lord. But, uh, <laughs> that name, wow. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's a real, like, it's a big college brew up that up in that area. But I uh, wasn't able to find any. It was apparently an uproar a, a little while back for the season because they were taking away the stalls that it was served at to put other beer on. Oh. So, little, little touchy. Um, but they had a great beer there, and I'm trying to think of who it was from. I think it was Flying Dog, actually, who, who made it. It was a um, an Old Bay. Bay. Yeah, an ale brewed with Old Bay Spice. So if you're, oh. if you're like a fan of... Crabs, or yeah, you know, working in working with seafood and whatnot. You, crab, old Bay seasoning. That's not. That, this is not the, the Bay confusion I was having. <laughs> He's having Speaking the millennial of, term Bay. Yeah, like I was stopped and I was like, 
why, why would you call a call a seasoning that? And then uh, and then mean, like you're like yeah, like ocean, like oh, old bay, b a y. <laughs> yes, it's got like uh, celery salt in it. It's one of the major flavors, and I don't know what else is there. But if you've ever had crab in the area or went to a crab boil, that's usually what the seasoning is that's on the crabs. Gotcha. And and so the ale was seasoned with it, and it was delicious. It was really good, um, surprisingly. Um, but yeah, the the ballpark had some really great beers on, and I don't think usually if we go to a city, um, the homebrew con at least, if it goes to a city, they kind of boost up their craft beer selections. Um, I didn't get that vibe from this city. I feel like what they had on is is what they have on year-round. And uh, that felt pretty good to know that we w- actually were in a city that supported brewing in general. How yeah. was it um, with local craft brewers? Not like the – it's hard to say it, to say big dogs when you're saying like heavy seas because they're not really big dogs yet. They're, you know, emerging on the scenes. But, yeah. well, like, how many smaller local brewers did you see represented? Because it's like at uh, Great American here in Cincinnati, they have a Cincinnati Brewers lane where they serve Braxton and Mad Tree and, like, all pretty much all the locals. Yeah. Uh, we got uh, – where we were seated, they usually had mostly uh, – most of the places had one or two crafts on draft and then probably four other um four other domestic beers um most of the crafts they had on were dogfish head uh, like a dogfish head ipa and then loose cannon Mm. was uh, a big one from uh, heavy seas that just about every stall had on but other than that they really didn't have a whole lot of craft beer options I i did not find a a stall. Now, you know, we were only in our little section, so uh, what what few beers that we had were probably more toward the masses rather than craft beer lovers. Um, but yeah, Magic Hat, Heavy Seas, Flying Dog, all three of those were served at the ballpark. And then we went to, uh, in the area, there was also a, hey, I didn't get to go there, but there was a, a brewery that that took together like six different breweries under one roof. Everybody had their own brewing equipment and, and they were all smaller breweries, but they were all kind of under one roof and it was like a brewing district place. It was really cool. Huh. It's like just one building, but everybody has their own little spot in it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and that's so, cool. Uh, all these breweries, they were really small, but you know, you could travel around inside and, and drink from everybody's taps. So it's awesome. it was just Cash like a little that's... brewer's mall, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly. Let me let me uh, see if I can. Maybe if it's a, if it's a real mall, there's a Sabaro somewhere in the middle. I mean, <laughs> holy been, right? crap! I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you put a Sabaro in the middle of that. Mm. Well, it has to be a Sabaro or and or an Annie Ann's. That's oh yeah, yeah. Uh, get me some pretzel dogs in there. Mm. <laughs> Which would go well with beer, I would have to imagine. Oh yeah, we we had at the ballpark. We had like three different specialty hot dogs. I think I had a like a barbecue dog. I had a mm. uh, I don't know a couple other nice big stacked up hot dogs. They were great with beer. I'm sure they oh, had a man. great big stacked up price as well. <laughs> yeah, like nine dollars a dog. Gosh. They've got you trapped in there. So yeah, what else are you gonna do? Beer was cheaper than the hot dogs. 
some kind of crazy mirror universe. <laughs> at um, least at Braxton today, the food was free because it was a cook-off. That would be delicious. <laughs> so beer of the uh, beer of the conference every year, uh, they have some commercial brewery that brews a beer in honor of the conference, a commemorative brew, and this one was brewed by Flying Dog. Um, in the in the wave of everyone wanting to do music themed beers, this one's titled Airwaves. I don't get um, that. That's everywhere. His dog yep. head has one. We've music seen it all to, over the place. Uh, beer to drink music to or something like that. I'm, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rheingeist has one even. Yeah. So there's something have, going on. I don't know. I have literally no idea what you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> or beer to drink music to. That's what it is. Everybody's yeah. doing like these music. A music themed beer. Yeah. But it's an India Pell lager coming in at 7.1%. Um, it's pretty... Pretty stout for a, a lager, but uh, on heavier, the nose. It's heavier than Walmart's beer. <laughs> yeah. On the nose, um, has some great hops in it. Uh, has Citra, uh, Mosaic, uh, Galaxy, and it's kind of got some piney notes to it as well, but it smells like a, one of the best IPAs. Um, whenever you drink it, it however... Sorry, I was going to say like it's it smells like the best IPA, but does it taste right? So L IPA Grande. The the aroma is great because you get with the lager, you kind of lose a lot of the well phenols, esters, all the all the extra. Why don't we take a take a moment there since it's just been brought up to describe? Nope. Phenols. No, we're, we're saving that. Tell me more about this beer because I don't <laughs> want to forget. <laughs> yeah, so you probably won't be able to get it. Um, it was like I said, it's usually just for the um, homebrew con. Um, but because my wife went with, with me, we got two bottles. I'll probably put one back for the the share along that we we might do. And uh, this one's really fresh though. Uh, it's got those great hop aromas that aren't hidden by the ale. Uh, the notes that come through with an ale. But whenever you drink it, if you could think of a, a beer that has all that fruitiness, but no no big malt character and no big fruity uh, yeast character to back it up, it, it's kind of thin with just that heavy fruity note. I, I, I like it, but it's it's like a uh, it's like a big hop bomb. Uh, a lot of hop notes. <laughs> hop bomb. Just pull the pen, throw it out there. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, this year was probably the year of the phenolics with all the classes that they had and, and all the classes that I went to. It was either pairing beer and food or um, aroma compounds dealing with phenolics. Those were two of the big keys that, that kind of this year went toward. I would love uh, to do any, a fair pairing is that, one. Because is that, is that, I, I went to one of these with you last year, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, that one was in Grand Rapids, which yep. – Made me love Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes. Uh, God. Uh, but there was um, they they have like I remember up there they had uh, classes on like new styles that you should be seeing a lot more of soon, and it was like the 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 Gosa and the Sati. Yeah. Um, and then they're... all of a sudden, the rest of that year was like, and into this year is like nothing but Gosas. I was looking for what's the next beer style that's going to be coming out of this and what i got was a lot more sour um this year seemed to be a we're going to dig our feet in and deal with what's going on right now it was maybe 
if I could pick one one beer that came out of this year that isn't normally brewed, it's probably the Grisette, um, which is from I didn't go to the class. Um, I'll wait, and whenever it becomes available, I'll probably download the audio and listen to it then. But the Grisette, if I'm not mistaken, is a uh, kind of a little bit more of a a, a saison style beer that was specific to a um, a mining community, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Because, uh, because uh, like I know, I think it was the Gosa they gave us that year that was not the best example of a Gosa. Yeah, uh, we did the the Gosa, which was extremely salty, like a Gatorade. It tasted, beer. No. it tasted like stagnant pond water. If, if I recall correctly. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Um, you know, those guys were were brewing at home, I think, and so uh, they were, I guess, experimenting would be the, yeah. the proper way to say. It's it. not to like dismiss their efforts, but it just I, maybe yeah. it was just because they had to, you know, put them into big pitchers and give them to a room full of people. <laughs> it didn't get to yep. keep very well. So, yeah, it's not as good when it's not cold, I guess. <laughs> um, the big keys for this year, though, I think were like drilling down on practice, um, making sure your, your science is good. Um, a lot of the classes that I went to drilled into the science of it really well. Um, some of the classes were on like the chemistry of mashing, um, how specialty malts influence foam. Um, then they had stuff like how to build your own kegerator and, and brewing with wild yeast and, and the mead stuff was always there. But, uh, some of the cool things they had some history classes, uh, one about the history of brewing in Baltimore, one about the history of home brewing, uh, just some really neat stuff here and there. Um, all the classes you can check out and see online and, uh, you know, see if you like what this year's classes look like. Cause next year's going to be a little bit different, but, but very similar. Hmm. So of the classes I went to, um, Brittany, I think you were, you were getting ready to say something because I went to a lot of tasting classes. Oh, no, I was just saying, I would love to do something like that where, you find out what, like the pairing stuff. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Out of the two classes that I went, the one thing that crossed between the two of them was that you want to pair intensity with intensity. So if you're drinking a light flavored, if, if you took one thing out of both of those classes and, and wanted to do one thing separate from those, it would be if you have a heavy beer, you want a heavy dish. If you want a heavy or a light dish, a lighter beer. Um, on flavor, hoppiness, everything. And uh, they were, were talking about some of the things that cover up uh, your certain flavors. So bitterness and spiciness may not go as well together. Uh, yeah. Or it might. It, it's all about how the intensity goes and if you want to intensify something or bring it back down. Um, one of the biggest, the best classes that I went to for uh, tasting was talking about the flavor compounds in beer. Because there was a lot of science to back that up. It wasn't just, and this is what we think tastes good. It was more of, and this is why these things happen. And so it was taught by a guy who, um, he was originally from India. Then he moved to Australia, started homebrewing in 2003. He moved from there to Great Britain. And now he works in a big brewery doing, I think he was over there, their perception panel. So everyone that every beer that comes out goes through the panel to make sure that it meets their criteria. Uh, I know a lot of our bourbon industry folks do the same thing. Yeah. But uh, with that, he, he was given some good information, stuff like uh, the fact that some people are super tasters and some people are completely blind to certain 
smells or flavors, hmm. especially if you grew up in an area where um, those flavors and aromas were very potent. So where, like I said, he was from India, that, that actually matters because certain spices right. he, yeah. he's very blind to because he's used to having those spices in high amounts and not a little tiny low amount. He's just not going to be able to taste it. Um, the term for this is anosmia, anosmia, uh, anosmia, I think. That's okay. You, and well, it, that's when you lose a sense of smell. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, and it's a, a specific, whenever you, you can have this for specific aromas or, or, um, I, I use flavors, even though taste flavor is, is basically, and this was one of the things that kind of cleared up for this as well. Um, flavor is a combination of smell and taste where right. a taste would yeah. be just bitter, sour, sweet, salty, umami. Um, and then there was a new flavor or a new taste that they were saying is coming on the market right now, or they're, they're starting to show right now, um, which I thought was neat. No, um, some, some buzzword. There's no, yeah, it's a lie. But, <laughs> but uh, out of all of this, you know, you, you combine the two and you get flavor in there. And so you get some aromas that are detectable as low as femtograms. So that's like one to the 15th or 10 times one to the, or one times 10 to the 15th power, negative 15th. Negative so 15th. that's like 15th is like big. It, yeah. A, one with a lot of zeros in front of it in a decimal <laughs> place. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty low amount. Um, and then some things that you've got to have in high concentration in order to detect. And it's, it seems to be that if something is detectable at a low level, then it's usually a favorable component in beer. If it's something that is detectable at, uh, you would have to have a whole lot, it's usually not something that is, is a favorable component in beer. So uh, it's kind of like we've decided that the favorable things are the things that we smell and taste most often. Hmm. Um so he was saying that when we talk about stuff, so Brittany, when we do our tastings, you usually are able to pick things out that we're not able to. And, well, and he was saying nose, right? <laughs> yeah, women are actually much better at sensory analysis than men are. I it's will a, it's point very out tied. that she can't pick out the smell of asparagus pee, though. He's like, oh, there's so, nothing wrong with it after we eat asparagus. I'm like, no, my pee's stinking everything up. <laughs> <laughs> yep, everybody's a, a producer. Not everyone's a smeller of that one. Um, I, I, I wonder what the percentage is that has what is anosmia for hmm. for that particular yeah. compound. Um, so funny thing, asparagus pea is a sulfuric sulfuritic compound. So that would be a sulfur type component, um, which is comparable to some things that you would get in beer as well. Uh, but g- women are genetically predisposed to be able to taste better than men. Um, and a professional sensory analyst can actually d- differentiate between 15 different sulfur compounds or 10 different ester compounds. So they're quite trained. There's only about 130, 140 compounds that are on the list in total. And most there's maybe 15, 20 sulfur based compounds that are in beer. Wow. So I might disqualified from this job then. <laughs> there are tests to see how how good you are at picking these things up. What if I'm um, just really lucky when it comes to answering tests? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you could be. A lot of these use uh, the triangle test just to see. So, you know, you never know. Uh, one thing, if you are a uh, in, into making sure that you can taste as well as you can, uh, mouthwashes that contain the antimicrobial uh, chemical called chlorhexidine actually diminishes your ability to taste anything. So if you're on a, it's like a, a special prescription most of the time, prescription mouthwash that your dentist would give you um, if you've got gum disease. But if you like it and want to continue using it, you're not going to be able to taste beer as well. It Notice actually, no hands shot up. People went, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, why. <laughs> well, that's, that's, would you have just to go off of it for a little while? or Because like I feel like your, your, ta- your mouth regenerates pretty quickly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it, it's it's something that you definitely wouldn't want to use like the week before you were supposed to go off to a big beer tasting, right? And uh, and after that, you should be good to go. But it it actually screw, screw your gums. You need a taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what we go through for science. Um, yeah, science. <laughs> but yeah, it coats the mouth and actually coats some of the place, some of the receptor sites that so it actually prevents uh, the receptors from binding. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, so the classes that we're talking about taste and, and how to taste and tasting better. Um, oh, one more thing, the speaker, like I said, he was originally from India. Um, he was talking about acetaldehyde, which is what we normally associate with maybe the smell of green apples in a beer. Yeah. Can I just say how good it is to have someone else say the science words that aren't me? <laughs> Considering we just uh, got critiqued. still. We yeah. just got critiqued on the fact that we can't say them very well. It took me. You say we were trying and we were doing a good job of trying. It took me three or four years to figure that one out. I always wanted to call it acetaldehyde, but it's acetaldehyde, um, and it is. That's the reason that we use the words, the specific word, because you could say green apple, which is what we would perceive, but to him, it smells like fermenting mung beans or raw pumpkin because of his heritage and where he grew up and what he... That feels more like a context thing because I don't know what a mung bean tastes like. (laughs) Exactly. And that's if if you were tasting beer there, they would say fermenting mung bean and we would have no no way to cross-reference of, okay, I have no idea what that's like. Uh, Maybe mung bean does taste like green apple. It does, and that's that. It's exactly. It's just the word that you put with it. So uh, whenever we taste, and and we do a tasting in you know polite company like we normally do, and we say, well, that tastes like green apple. We all know what what that means. But if you're a professional taster, you write down acetaldehyde because you have to associate green apple of this character with acetaldehyde. And when you know that and are able to differentiate it that puts you in the, the category of the tasters that can do the 15 different sulfur compounds or the 10 different esters. Wow. So it's just basically putting the, the chemical word, the, the, the word that everyone in the world would use to the, uh, the smell that you're getting. So going mm-hmm. with the science word rather than the arbitrary, exactly. su- more subjective people- uh, terms. Either, exactly. Neither one of those are wrong. Whether you say green apple or fermenting mung bean, neither one's wrong. And that's why we say when we're doing tastings, you know, there's no wrong answer. Because if you smell it, you smell it. And that's what you perceive. I'm going to start saying when I smell green apple, it smells like fermenting mung bean. <laughs> there you go. I want to know and, what uh, the word would be for um, 
That one that you you let us try at your house, uh, the one that I said smelled and tasted like marshmallow corn. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Actually, marshmallow corn. So it had the corn flavor and marshmallow flavor in there. Yeah, it was weird. That yeah. or she's found some food that's marshmallow <laughs> corn. We'll come back to that because I've got something that may be helpful here in just a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, I did get to take a class on just phenolic compounds. An entire hour long of explaining where phenolics came from, what it was, why it was in beer, what you had to do to get them in and get them out, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, basically. So Bob's hell? Is that <laughs> <laughs> it's not my hell, it's just my, my personal amnesia center. <laughs> After this I walk out of there going like... Where'd an hour go? <laughs> yeah, it'd be Who just an I? hour of his life flushed down the toilet. <laughs> Where have I been? <laughs> like, I come out of the room, like, having no idea. Like, all right, I think it's time for that class. Uh, when, when's it start? <laughs> you're just, you're just, if you yeah. take... Uh, the, uh, the class was great. The guy who taught it, he, I think he was from Florida. He was a... Uh, Mike Lentz, he's a professor... Uh, maybe even a doctorate. He's doing a lot of doctorate level studies, I know, on the phenolic compounds in beer, and uh, he, he's doing some really cool research, uh, which he's he's been published with. So it's really he's got some really neat information, and he brought it in front of a group of folks that had no chemistry education, all the way up to organic chem and beyond, and he brought it down and condensed it into a very good, concise way to look at it. And so basically. Um, if you were going to say, what's the difference between phenolic aromas and ester aromas? There's there's one specific um, way that you could say it, it doesn't give you a lot of context, but it gives you the technical definition. And a phenol or a phenolic aroma comes from a phenol, which is a, a little bit different, but it, it, they, it would be a phenol reacting with an acid, while an ester is an alcohol reacting with an acid. So between the two, that's just, that's a scientific definition. Now, whenever you're looking at how to tell these two apart on a perceptive level, if you get aromas like smoke, if you get aromas like you were talking about Band-Aid, if you get aromas of, of that spicy character, um, spices like cinnamon, spices like vanilla, actually, would be considered a phenol. Hmm. Um those are all phenolic compounds that become phenols. Esters um, are more of like a, a fruity flavor. So something like a nail polish um, at a high level, ethyl acetate at a high level is, or fruity at low levels. Um, isoamyl acetate, which is found in vice beers, smells like an artificial banana. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I may have I may have had a breakthrough or I'm gonna lose this thought in like thirty seconds. So I'm gonna do it quickly. Ethyl acetate. Is that in some doubles or triples? Would be, yes. Oh you would you would definitely find that. Um I'm I'm, I'm impressed. There's there's <laughs> esters and doubles and trip who am I now? Where where are we going? <laughs> um you get stuff like like the banana flavor that comes in like vice beers, the the, the traditional german uh wheat beer so you once told me banana is bad uh depends banana is bad in a beer that is not supposed to have banana in it so if it's not white beer it's usually bad 
Weiss beers or there's you go through the the list of all the beers and they'll say should it have banana should it not have banana usually if it's german uh, a german vice beer or something that's belgian you probably are good with either one of those but other than those two um there may be a few places where you can get it but banana's bad in like an american lager okay uh, banana's bad in and usually an ipa so if it's uh, that something that's probably supposed got to have an infection those... with a yeast that's that right. produces banana like that's that's I always associate banana typically because of this being told to me once that that banana banana means something's gotten infected. Yeah, infected with a yeast that produces that right. that flavor. Yeah. And um you know there's there's uh, we'll get into that here in the next little class that I went to but there's a um a, a group of yeasts that actually are considered to possess a gene that produces phenolic compounds, not banana necessarily, but they're, they're called phenolic off flavors. So we'll get into that here in just a minute. Okay. But uh, ethyl butyrate, so all these are um, are combined with an, or an acid and an alcohol combined. And that's where you get the scientific name, um, ethyl hexanate. So ethyl butyrate smells like juicy fruit gum, a little tropical fruity pineapple-y type. Hmm. Um, ethyl hexanate smells like a red apple or anise. So these are all esters, and they all tend to be more fruity. But you get into the phenolic compounds, you get into clove, you get into, um, let's see, smoke is a phenolic compound. And the key to, and Band-Aid, like we said, Band-Aid's definitely a phenolic compound there. Why are you guys licking (laughs) Band-Aids? Like I said... Whenever you talk about flavor, it's a combination of aroma and taste. And it's so, a combination of you guys licking band-aids, <laughs> and it's wrong. Go out, smell everything you can. doesn't matter if it's something you wouldn't normally eat. You know, no, smell stuff. because out there exists poop, and I don't want to smell it. <laughs> which, which is a... Um, I swear to God, if you break poop down to a phenol or an ester, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to go phenol on that one. So It is a phenol. Uh, <laughs> God bless. So the actual because we we were talking about this. It's called bar, barnyard or oh farm. the barnyard thing. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. And the wet blanket and all that business. Um, <clears throat> I, so it sounds to me like so the phenols are on the richer, um, uh, heavier end, and the esters are on the lighter end of things. Usually, if you could think of like how a um, alcohol kind of has that that. It gets in the high end of your sinuses. It feels like it's up in the high end of your sinuses. That's kind of where you also perceive these aromas. Is there? They're very high, high aromas. If you could think about it that way. Um, now, the reason that smoke is considered a phenol. So let, let's step away from esters and let's just concentrate on phenols because that's what this whole class was based on, and it was based on where does a phenol even come from. So if we well, and a use, mommy phenol and daddy phenol really <laughs> love each other. If we never used a single plant item in brewing beer, you would not get phenols. You would also not make beer because you need hops. You would need hops. You would need barley. barley so yeah. about 60 to 70% of all the phenols in beer come from the barley, and the other 30% or so comes from the hops. And so phenolic compounds are actually 
only the the they're I don't know if they're only, but they are definitely found in the cell walls of plant material. So whenever you break open a um, a plant cell, inside you've got cellulose, and mm-hmm. holding those cellulose strands together is phenolic or phenols. Um, they're they're compounds that you would normally find in like wood. The vanilla, the vanillin in wood is a phenol that is holding the cellulose together inside of that barrel. Hmm. So it's a, now whenever you burn wood, it breaks down that cell. And so the phenols of that smoke come up and that's where you get the smoke flavor whenever you break it down. That's when you get like, I'm thinking in terms of like hard liquor, but like your, your vanilla flavors into some of your charred. Exactly. Yep. Because wood by itself, the the vanillin in the wood, you break you char it, which actually breaks down those cell walls, and that causes the phenols to be released, or the phenolic compounds to be released, and those can then bind and create uh, phenols that you can actually smell. So through um, once the PowerPoint comes out, I'll actually be able to get the exact numbers for you, but through this class, there are the phenolic compounds that before they are bound with an acid, they're actually able to be smelled, but it's at extremely high levels, like in the 400 plus parts per million. Um, Once they combine with an acid, you can smell them in the much lower 30 parts per million or lower uh, category. So Whenever they combine with an acid, they smell different and they can be smelled a whole lot easier. So that's why phenols in beer are whenever a phenol combines with an acid. Now that I've thoroughly confused you. <laughs> My nose is running. I think knowledge is escaping. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it mostly makes sense to me. It's, uh, if, you, if you know nothing else about phenols and esters, then... If it's an, a fruity aroma, it's probably going to be an ester. And if it's a dark, smoky, chemically richer, type aroma, yeah. uh, or not even chemically, but you know, like yeah. a like a clove, like a cinnamon, something like that, it's probably a phenol. So the real test, the real test is going to be the next time we have a tasting. If if I remember any of this, right? Or if I, you know, if I wake up in the morning with like an hour or so block out of my memory just gone. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I'm thinking like phenols equal fall and winter and esters equals spring and summer. I know that's really weird comparison, but that's what I get in my head. Because fall to me is like cinnamon and spices and warmth. And that's what the phenols reminds me of. Yeah, you, you would definitely get uh, a little bit more toward that direction. You know, you could get some of that, the ethyl acetate, that, the fruitiness from the, the, like the nail polishy, if it's a high alcohol winter warmer or something like that. But yeah, the phenolic, clovey, spicy, cinnamony flavors are definitely like winter beer flavors. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so along with that, uh, one of the other classes that I was able to take was with uh, the guy that owns White Labs, uh, Chris White. Um, he, he well, the co-owner of White Labs. I mean, um, it'd be funnier if his name was like Chris Brown. Oh, okay, maybe not Chris <laughs> Brown. They needed to beat somebody. Uh, Chris <laughs> Turquoise. He's got. Uh, yeah, I think he's a a twin. He's got a twin brother, 
uh, and both of them are in this the yeast business. Did his did his twin brother do a class on esters? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Would have been hilarious though. Um, but he was talking about how because he's a twin. It, it kind of got him down the road of even whenever he was young, he was doing genetic research and, and trying to figure out what was going on with genes and why he and his brother had the same genes, but they they looked different, a little bit different. They did things a little bit different. They were different all the way around. So uh, like a genotype versus phenotype type mm-hmm. of yeah. uh, comparison. And so whenever he got into this, he eventually got into yeast and uh, now his company, along with some other collaborators, there's a lot of them actually, they're collaborating to genetically map the yeast strains that we brew with, which not too long ago, it's been a while actually, um, the a lab variety of yeast had its entire genome mapped. Oh. But with that we don't use that lab yeast variety to brew and and probably never will because it's just it's an odd it does nothing that looks tastes feels good in beer that's um, kind of like the difference in mapping out an entire chimpanzee's dna and seeing if that helps humans exactly yeah you can draw some comparisons but uh, all in all it's not going to be completely helpful to you um with White Labs and what they're doing here, now, you know, you get into genetic mapping, and, and the first thing people think of is genetically modified organisms, which is definitely a concern. Um, you say concern. We've been doing that for centuries. Yeah, well, not necessarily the same way, because whenever not you... Not doing gen- it the same way now, but, you know, we've been... There have been eugenics programs to make to make cows more docile. Yes. Whenever you, you mate for the, the characters that you want. And yeast... <laughs> And I'm just saying, eugenics is a lot scarier sounding to me than <laughs> than just genetic sampling. Uh, yeah. And so uh, there are some yeast strains on the market that have been FDA approved that are genetically modified. Um, the good news, whatever, the neutral news, however you want to take it, is that those yeast strains, however, are not and ha- well, have not yet been used for brewing beer. And I mean, so what if, any beer that what you if get they're out, delicious? Um, they could be because usually if it's genetically modified, it's probably a pretty good job. I would don't, say. Don't, don't get like I, I kind of feel like the whole craft beer movement is probably not going to jump onto a GMO yeast. Yeah, and that's. Like, I feel like there's just something about them that goes, "No, I won't," and I'm like, "Why? It's it's a tool in the toolbox." Well, the U.S. is very neutral, and they they kind of have the same in the U.S. in overall approach at least has a very uh, very similar opinion as what you've got but internationally in europe especially gmos are much harder to get through an approval process and and you know there's a lot of laws that say you can't use gmos uh, not even if it's not labeled but you know for a lot of cases you can't use gmos period um with that the beer industry is probably looking to think you know if i wanted to send my beer elsewhere uh, why you know what's the benefit of me using a gmo why would i want to do that when the yeast i'm doing is doing just fine and i could send it wherever without having to worry about that at all i i all i'm thinking is like you know just experiment with it but whatever yeah and there's a lot of lab and that's you know it's been approved by the fda and everything so you could experiment with it but um but there's no no commercially available beer that's being produced with this um now 
one of the key takeaways that they did take from the um, from the report, because this is all preliminary data, is that there are when we talked and we did our tasting of the the triangle tasting of the two beers that were supposed to have the same yeast strain, um, give or take, you know, it was it was the two yeast strains that were supposed to be identical. Uh, White Labs 001 and uh, Y Yeast 1056, and you all were able to pick out a difference between the two yeast strains. You you perceived a difference between them, and that is kind of what this data shows: is that genetically, on a genetic level, those two yeast strains are completely different. Everyone said for a long time that they're the same; you can use them interchangeably, but genetically, they are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of backs up what he had said all along, because you know there are some competitors out there who like to go and, and take a vial of your yeast and then sell it as their own. But, um, but you know, he said they are different and, and, you know, take it for what you will. One of the other key takeaways that they, they came away from this data um, is that your Kolsch yeasts, a lot of folks thought that it was a hybridized version of a lager yeast and an L yeast that kind of uh, blended, like you were saying, they blended genetic strains together. Um, what this data is starting to show is that they are likely the Kolsch yeast is likely a, a break off all of its own, and not a hybridization, but more of a uh, a complete break off that um, is different and not it, it's not been hybridized, mm. which it's, is really neat. But didn't uh, they didn't didn't they try to hybridize those yeasts together to make the Kolsch, or did they just happen to find it one day? I, I it, it with a lot of beer history, it has to do with whether you use the yeast without even knowing that's there. So you put it oh. in and you start brewing, and you've got a beer that is brewing at fifty degrees, fifty six. Well, probably a little bit warmer. It's probably for that. It's probably looking at fifty eight to sixty degrees somewhere in there. So a little bit cold, a little bit warmer than an, a lager, a little bit colder than an ale. And the yeast that takes off and thrives well is the yeast that tends to do well in that. So we, we selected it to do what it needs to do. Cool. So it wasn't something that we forced together or we hybridized. It, it just happened to be there. And somewhere in nature, it hybridized. Okay. All right. So from the sound of it, they just somehow stumbled across. It was, yeah, it was more of a natural selection or a, or a human-driven selection at that point. Okay. Uh, um, what else you got for us? So with that, uh, there were um, some other yeast uh, yeast things that were pretty cool. So yeast have um, – they look very similar. The Genetically, they look very similar to human DNA, but they have fewer chromosomes. But they are seven times more varied in their genetics than humans are, which I thought was a really cool – Oh, wow. Uh, really? So, like, no, no two yeast look alike. Um, yeah, it, they they have you know. There's just a lot more yeast. So, in yeah. a 50 milliliter vial, I have about a billion yeast cells. Um, so, whenever I go to a normal brew store round, I'm picking up the population of the world in yeast cells every time I go. Right. That's that's more more what I meant than I meant the whatever. Yeah. So it's it's a matter of there's just more of them out there, and so. You know, it's just more varied, but seven times more variety, even though they contain a, a little bit, I think about half of the, the number of chromosomes that we've got. Um, 
Yeah, so this is basically they're looking at this data to breed yeast and and breed yeast better. And uh, I hinted to this a little bit earlier, but they are looking at the phenolic off flavors in beer and what gene specifically causes phenolic off flavors. So, like I said, you're not able to um, get phenolics from every yeast. You're only able to get them from some yeast. So they're trying to figure out what gene segment it is exactly that causes that. Well, it would be estery in that situation, but esters to form. Or what gene segment is it that causes a clove phenol to form? And why is it that that segment does it? So that's some of the stuff that this genetic research is really diving into. They're, and they're checking for on the ingredients to see why, why you taste it, not on the people. Uh, yeah, it's they're doing um, – the analysis that they've got is on a, a few million-dollar machine, and I think it's one of the same companies that – the company that they're working with sells the machines to – what is it, 23andMe? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they produce these rapid uh, rapid genetic type – or what, I can't remember exactly why they call it, but it, it's a rapid machine that, that can do the genetic testing – uh, quickly, and they're they're leasing it or trading back and forth um, because they couldn't afford to buy one of these multi-million dollar machines for themselves. Right. And so, luckily, they're in the same city and, and can kind of get a little bit of time on the machine. And and uh, so they use that to look at what the genetics look like, and then they'll use a chromatic uh, a grass gas chromatograph to figure out what uh, phenols are actually in the in the beer and then they'll use humans to come back behind and back up what data the the the, the two pieces of equipment are showing them they're backing like, that data up. i feel like that is the least accurate way to back up data using <laughs> stupid dumb humans <laughs> right i for um, one welcome our new beer tasting robot overlords <laughs> no i want to taste the beer i mean we can still taste it i'm just saying for accuracy's sake Definitely. Uh, it's good that they have it all, uh, have all the options at least. Yeah. Uh, so uh, any other cool uh, cool classes you went to? or uh, Those were really the biggest ones that I had a lot of fun with and learned a whole lot from. You know, um, The other class that I wanted to go to, but it got canceled or rescheduled at the last minute, I couldn't make it, was about how to do your own um, yeast counts at home, like microscope and, and you know. Side of uh, the, all all the equipment you would need to do counts at home, and I thought that would be pretty cool to do. But uh, alas, that one was canceled. Uh, and so a lot of these others, I'll go back through and and pick them up whenever we get uh, access to all the audio after the classes are done, and uh, and once they're put up online. So if you want to listen to these classes, you can become a member of the National Homebrewers Association. And I think it's it's somewhere like thirty forty bucks a month. Or a I was going to say it's like, like yeah for a whole year it's like thirty or I, and, I let mine lapse and I kind of need to yeah get back on that. So you can go back and listen to any of these. There there's probably fifty sixty seventy uh, seminars that you could listen to and and view the uh, powerpoints to if you want to. Oh um, wow. From this year and the past, I think it goes back to th- 2012. You can listen to them all the way back then. So, and, yeah, because uh, I remember last year there were some really cool classes. Um, 
like the two that stand out to me was the 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 hop tea one and the the one about brewing in a bag. Yeah, um, I still kind of really want to get me one of those really nice bags. Oh yeah, the brewing the bag bags. Like, <laughs> well, because like there's that. some that's like, oh, you can do it with like a pillowcase. Yeah, but they they have some of like crazy crazy. I, I I don't I can't think of a better word to say than thread count. <laughs> uh, but it's like super thin, and you get like the best sort of version you can get. Like you don't get any of that residual gunk behind. I recall mm-hmm. from that homebrew competition we did where there was one in one of the categories I stewarded that it specifically said in the notes that it was a brewing bag. Yeah. Uh, the, the the guy giving that class, I remember him saying, like, look, if you're if you're brewing in a multivat thing, if you love to sparge, that's that's all you're doing. Like you can you can get the same stuff with just a bag, and I'm like, I feel like this guy's just trying to sell me bags, but at the same time, that <laughs> seems a lot cheaper than than setting up a three vat system. Yeah, uh, brewing a bag's really easy to get into uh, for like in in apartment brewing or, or even you know I find myself doing it because you say, you say apartment brewing, I have to set up some kind of weird pulley system that I don't <laughs> want to know. You do like a three gallon batch, you could pick up that much. I mean, forty yeah. pounds is all you have to pick up on that. Maybe I'm weak. Maybe maybe I worked out that morning and my muscles are tired. You don't know. You don't you know do my life. You have to do like the dead hold where you hold it out and let it drain for uh, a minute or so. Oh, <laughs> so it does Lord. help to have something to rest on. I'll give you that. Um, but I did, like the, there was one that really did stand out to me, and I mentioned the the hop tea one because he was like, "Yeah, no," and it's just a way to to get the the aromas from some of the different types of hops, and like you just make tea out of hops and you could like dump it into like a miller or whatever to give you an idea of what some of those might give you a, f- a flavor of in beer. Yeah. Uh, that was a really neat thing. Cause I, I saw that and I went, I, I remember looking over to you going, is that a thing? Can that, could that work? Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to worry about the, uh, the pesky phenols or, uh... <laughs> it would not be, it would not be your ideal beer, but if you're just trying to s- trying to figure out what you might like to try mm-hmm. you know that seemed like a good experimenting thing to try and do anyway yeah because like when we when we arrived we got a uh, uh as a gift they gave us a uh, i think it's like a three or four ounce package they gave, of... they gave you a dime bag of hops well they did do that that was definitely um because i remember they... you sending us pictures and, and like one of us just went I think we just gave Casey a dime bag of hops. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's like a gram of or a couple grams probably of hops here that uh, uh, they call it hop hash, and there was a lot of pot themed stuff there. That um, may be why we made the joke of of dime bag. Yeah. Oh, uh, and it's in like one of the little drug baggies too. Like I, I was really concerned not, about getting stopped and frisked on the street. Not that I know anything about this. I. These are just terms I've heard, and so it... no officer, I swear it's just hops. I need a really fresh IPA. I have to brew it myself at the bar. <laughs> so as they uh, as they process hops, they get uh, a little bit of a residue, um, and so when they process it, the they just scrape this residue off and they package it up in um, these little baggies to give out as as little kind of little little handouts. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Okay, there were a couple things I kind of wanted us to talk about. Uh, You sent us a couple messages while you were there. Uh, One was, 
of a slide. I'm guessing that uh, Sam, during his presentation, oh. brought up about the Reinheitsgebot. Oh, yeah. yeah. And... Also, it turns out I was thinking of completely the wrong guy when I was thinking of Sam uh, Calgione. Calgione earlier. I was thinking I, I maybe it's the Goose Island guy. I think it – that sounds right. I know he was thinking because he totally looked like Jim Henson. Yeah. Can't think of his name to save my life. But my, my, my brain is a jumbled mess of – it's those things. phenols, yeah. It's... <laughs> I'm going to have to find that, uh, what, what that slide it specifically said, but it was something along the lines of... Do you have it there, Chris? I don't have it in front of me, but um, I would just remember I it was lingering on my brain. I was wondering, you know, if you could remember what he was talking, like, I want to know, you know, what he was really harping on it about. Yeah, he, uh, you know... Well, I, I remember the phrase was like the the... the... Reinheitsgebot is. Uh, I think it was a form of censorship. Yeah, is that what he said? Yeah, form of censorship for crack. Yeah, beer. you know, he was probably a quite Here a bit more uh, it, We don't have the slide of it, but I see you typed it in. It says, "At dogfish head, we believe Reinheitsgebot is nothing more than a form of art censorship." That's what it was. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah!" Like and, shots and, fired. <laughs> It's kind of like going back to, you know, why isn't everyone says we've been talking about weed here, but everyone says weed <laughs> isn't legal in the U.S. because they don't know how to tax it or they couldn't tax it or you know it's that sort of thing. That's beer. The Ryan Heiskabut was made because hops were able to be taxed, and um, it was a way to make sure that that the people that they wanted producing beer could produce beer and everybody else couldn't. And so that's a very um, very good way to look at it because there's a lot of things that you can put in your beer that would be considered artistic freedom. There's also like 20% of my, my indignation about the run high school boot of them saying like, well, I mean, some of these stouts aren't really beers. Yeah. That's kind of chapped my ass. I've got to say, there's a lot of beers (laughs) that can't grinds my gears. (laughs) It can't like, um, the Roebling from uh, Rivertown here in Ooh, Cincinnati, yeah. they can't – I guess they try to adhere by that so they don't call it a beer. They call it a malt beverage. Most of their stuff is like that, yeah. And that's and it's causing this big upheaval even in uh, German culture. The youth are kind of rebelling against the Reinheitsgebot because they're it's limiting with the kind of beer they can get, and they are not pleased with this. Yeah. So here's here's one of the keys: uh, and malt beverage versus beer versus ale. Ber- it's all in the way the law is written. So, in in order for some beers to be called beer, they have to be under a certain alcohol percentage. Or they have if it's a malt beverage, it's over five percent alcohol. Every state has a certain way that they want it to be labeled. I thought and, in the U.S. I thought in the U.S. we distinguished malt beverages by does Billy D. Williams sell it to us? <laughs> that's that's the way it should be. Billy uh, D. <laughs> but uh, it's just uh, it's so no one has a there's no standardization, and as much as big government is, uh, you know how I feel. But um, <laughs> there should be some sort of standardization. No, get up on your soapbox. Tell us all about it. <laughs> even if it is we're not going to have any legislation on what you can call it. I think that's probably the best way to say it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's all a matter of, uh, of everything's they're trying to censor how, how you 
group. So how did the crowd react to that? Did they all like cheer and go, yeah? Yeah, it was a pretty big reaction. It was you know, imagine, no standing yes. ovation, <laughs> but you know, it was it was a good, well received statement, and and everybody clapped, and and it was. If I, I guarantee you, if like me, Chris were there, Brittany, I'm not 100 percent on, but I know the two of us would have been standing up applauding. Yeah, Tears in our eyes. Well, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you would have been too, Brittany. But at the same time, like, I can also picture you looking up and going, "Guys, sit down. No one else is standing." <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, um, I, I'm not he... surprised at all that that he's the one who said that because he's always oh. just been such an advocate. Like he's he's just really cool. It seems. Uh, I don't think there's very many beers that he produces that do not contain something weird or something odd. Yeah, I or mean, like an absurdly per- large amount of hops or something. He was telling the story of how he okay, so they're continuously hopped ales, um, the ones like the the ninety minute and the one twenty minute. Yeah. The the way he first started doing those was he found a, um, I think it was a football table, a vibrating table that would it was like a game, and it vibrated. And I think the little players ran across. Oh, uh, like the the old school football game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly oh, what it was. Oh, okay. And he found one of those and hooked it up in the brewery so they could throw the hops on it, and it would just shake them continuously into the beer over that 90-minute boil. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and that was just one of the weird things that they do in the brewery, and, and it worked for them. Like that's okay. That is the only reason to go to Delaware right there is just to visit Dogfish Head because they, that's got to be the coolest environment just to hang out in and then the the crazy stuff that you'll be able to get just there yeah they're really they're really helping out the whole the whole craft beer thing entirely absolutely and i you know i hope that it's not an act he seems really genuine and i hope it's not like a marketing ploy or anything they are they seem to have have it like if you were to say this is what a craft beer is or you know everybody wants to put a label on what is craft beer or microbrewed beer or what is what is independent beer that's that's what it is i I'm, I'm there's part of me that just wants to put it in the camp of what is good beer and everything else is more or less irrelevant but <laughs> these guys have a really cool spirit about what they do with with stuff so I'm like, yeah no, sure. that's cool uh all right well is there anything else we got uh we'd like to talk about about this this conference i know they're it's 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 a blast to go to because uh, they always do them in great like beer towns well, how about uh, you also shared another thing via text about what was the the attendance and the quantity of beer supplied for a weekend? That? It was – uh, hold on. I can pull up the conversation. Yeah, figure out the exact number because I sent that as a text. It but is, I didn't write it down. There are 2,000 kegs of beer for 3,000 people over yep. three days. <laughs> Yeah, and and usually in our industry, a keg would be like a five gallon. But I know there were some fifteen gallon kegs there I as mean, well. There was probably a couple of you know smaller, smaller kegs too. You don't know. Hmm. Uh, there was a lot of. Was there so, a lot of special stuff floating around? Um, it was all. Not all. Let me rephrase that. I didn't get to go to um, our dinner went a little long the first night, and so I didn't get to go to um, the commercial brewery night because once you buy the oh. ticket, like my wife, she got the social package, so every of the every one of the social events she got to go to, and then I got the the event plus the classes. 
ticket mm-hmm. so that I could go to the classes during the day. She could do her own thing, and then we'd meet up to go to the, the tastings they held every night and then um, all the opening ceremonies and everything. So just, just so we're clear, that is uh, uh, two-thirds of a keg for every person for three days. <laughs> so that's... I mean... <laughs> yeah, that, that seems about right. <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, after Chris and Brittany's wedding, after we still had, I don't know how much of a keg left over. There's so much in there. And... We tried. We were no, we were trying to be look, champions. I remember putting a hefty effort into that. <laughs> that was like a third keg that we had. There were a lot of people in that room. Yeah. Uh, that was that was the wedding had had their their way with it. And then We brought it back. We brought it back. It, yes. And it was and we, sitting in a bathtub with ice. We had a nice in little our hotel brigade to fill the tub. I remember with ice. I remember Ian getting upset because not everybody was helping trying to drink it. <laughs> and I went, I mean, I'm doing my best. I'm going, sir. <laughs> Ian maintains uh, it was the two of you that uh, <laughs> that polished it down to that point. Well, I mean, I like to think it was a group effort. <laughs> we, Casey had to stay sober, sober enough to go get pizza. So Yes, mm, yeah, that's true. Pizza. We had to go get food. Uh, um, but the first night was like all the, the local, semi-local, big national craft brewers uh, had a club night. And so you would go around just like a normal beer fest. And uh, you get your your little tasting glass, tasting glasses, just like the ones that were at, um, yeah. at up at uh, Lexington. Uh, beer fest beer thing so it was like six ounce glasses and uh, that actually I'm not mistaken the governor that gave the opening speech was the one that actually made it possible at least he was he was a big proponent for um, allowing beer tastings of homebrew beer inside the state because a lot of places won't even let you do that sort of thing oh wow Um, but uh, so the opening night they may have had probably 50 breweries there, um, 40, maybe 50 breweries. Uh, but whenever the, the big night that everyone really raves about is club night, which is the second major night there. And that's where probably 70 or 80 different clubs come in and set up a booth. I, I, this is going to sound funny. I vaguely remember that night. (laughs) Uh, cause I remember like going around roving, a lot during that whole convention on the uh-huh. floor, just like getting, getting beer. But like club night was like, it was pretty heavy. Yeah. Club night is, is there's a lot of folks there and every single one of them brings their, uh, some of their best club beers and uh, they, they serve, I don't know, six, eight kegs on tap. I had a, a delicious Mexican, uh, Mexican spice beer. Um, it cool. was like a, a spiciness to it with some Mexican um, um, like a, like chilies. A, like a, oh, oh it's just like a, like a pepper beer. Yeah. Oh, delicious. Oh. Um, it was the last one I was getting ready to leave. It was the last booth as I was walking out, and I, I had it in my glass, and I was like, oh, that's spicy. And I got to the door, and the lady, the security was like, oh, you got to finish that. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, so no. I, I drained this big spice beer down uh, and then walked out to know <laughs> nothing else to drink. Oh, so oh. Like you, you do that, but at the same time, like I've had some really good pepper beers. Okay, 
Oh, I've had like two or three really good pepper beers. One of them, I think, was from Founders. One of them may have come out of Hopcap. I don't know if they were just selling Founders or they were what was going on with that one. But mm-hmm. uh, I remember that was the week. That was the, the 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 trip where I found out that was a thing, and I was like, I mean, if you've got one, let's oh, yeah. let's, let's take it for a ride. Some of my favorite because that that fruitiness that you get from those beers, I, mean, I don't know. It's just it's it's such a good spicy fruitiness is is something I really like. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But your local uh, Cincinnati, I think the the Bloterian ministers of Bloterians um, was there. So the local a... Cincinnati uh, homebrew club. Oh, I was up. like, I don't know what that word is that you're. Trying I was to say. literally thinking you were talking like there was a cult from Cincinnati <laughs> that showed up. Well, real sure. quick, the Bloterium Brewing League, and I don't know, huh? I don't know what Bloterium means, but speaking uh, of looks Cincinnati like beers, maybe maybe they are. Um, uh, what's the denomination that ends with a, a <laughs> Aryan? Not not an Aryan, but like a Tilitarian. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm okay, so I'm on this limb by myself. About the only eat fish. Nope. I don't. <laughs> Not like maybe Unitarian is what I was thinking. I don't know. Uh, that was going somewhere, but but I got left out there on that limb and I died. <laughs> <laughs> I was murdered from a great fall and then fell upon another branch that impaled me as I kept falling. So moving on. The only the top the I've I've been down through the Google results. There are only three thousand eight hundred and ninety results on Google and out of two pages the only thing that's up there is something about the Cincinnati Brewing League. So All right. they may have invented the word at this rate. Weird. Or they really loved cocaine. <laughs> but uh, but they were there. Had some decent beers. Um, we tried a few of theirs. Uh, had it, it's kind of hit or miss whenever you get a club night because you could have some really good stuff, and mm. then you could have some stuff that is horrid and spoiled, <laughs> and you, oh. you just dump it. Tra- traveling and packaging can be an issue. Yep, uh, depending yeah. on where you're coming from. And and areas have different tastes, and so what one club thinks is great may be uh, horrible to the rest of the world. Mm. So. Uh, uh, was there uh was the Kentucky club up that way or were they no. it was mostly uh there were a lot of Maryland brew clubs up there um which, well you're in Baltimore yeah, for an area that you know Kentucky I think has four or five brewing clubs at the most and I feel like there were 12 or 13 in Baltimore Maryland area oh wow. um which were I mean smaller land area but more brewers I thought that yeah. was pretty cool um, like yeah. to imagine they have like brew offs, like they they. <laughs> oh yeah, um, one of the better they better they deal with their brewing disputes, much like uh, in um, the musical I'm thinking of. When you're a jet, you're a jet for life. Uh, Sharks and jets. Yeah, West Side Story. West Side Story. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. It was a yeah. good good little conference though. Good good conference. Uh, they also host the competition, the National Homebrew Competition up there. Um, so with that. Uh, you you've got all your beers that were were judged. Um, everybody that submitted um, beers, they were th- and went on. Um, they were all judged up there. Um, were any was there, so they don't give out. They, I, I don't believe they get out give out results right away for that. They they do. Uh, 
the last day. So if you're there and you want to buy the ticket to go to um, the dinner on the very last day, uh, you you actually that's where they hand out the medals and hand out the awards on that day. So the home brewer of the year, uh, mead maker of the year, cider maker of the year, um, all of your uh, all of your national awards are are given out there at the very end. So the National uh, Homebrew Club Award was sponsored by Rogue, and that was um, given to Quaff out of San Diego. Um, then you said Quaff, and I was waiting for you to say Brothers, and I was going to get very excited. But <laughs> nope. Um, the let's see, out of the Ninkazi Award, which is is a pretty big. It, I think it goes to like the person that submits and wins the most awards. Um, it, it was given to a guy out of Rural Hall, North Carolina, Derek Flippin. Um, let's see. Oh no, no, no. Ninkazi is the. Uh, I think that's the. <laughs> that's the award for the like the overall the best beer in the whole place. So he was mm. the one that that had the like Nash the the biggest beer the best beer in the whole whole. Uh, I'll let you thing. figure out why I left the name Ninkazi. Uh, <laughs> Um, Ninkazi is, I think, the goddess, uh, patron goddess of beer, if I'm not mistaken. So, so wouldn't that be? Never mind. It depends <laughs> on which depends yeah. on which which uh, mythology you're going out of. Exactly. Um, out of Columbus, uh, Jim Suddeth won the English Brown Ale Award, uh, third place. But yeah, a lot of lot of winners. Uh, Akron, Ohio, Paul Harden won for Belgian Strong Ales. A lot of winners up there because every category has three winners, so a lot of folks. Hmm. And yay, Ohio well, sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I feel like it's getting time to to wrap some of this up. Real we quick, got, uh, we have some like uh, what we're drinking for this well, special episode, or before we dive into what we're drinking, uh, I had a little bit I'd been hanging on to here. Oh. Um, I'm on the mailing list for the Party Source, which is one of the biggest uh, suppliers for alcohol in the Midwest. And they do a weekly email list. But I don't know why they picked this time frame, but uh, Memorial Day week, for some reason, they decided to watch all the sales of their beer. And in the email, this is what they decided to shoot out. When we added up all the sales of local beer from Monday, May 23rd to the 29th, uh, the party source had 2,651 transactions that included local craft beer. That does not include any other craft beer transactions, only local craft beer. We compared this to the number of transactions of all the non-craft beer located, and they get their aisle numbers, because they have it separated out, they keep... There's just a big craft section in the back, and they're they're segregationalists. It's fine. You can say it. <laughs> and they keep all the other stuff, like your Miller, your Bud, your Line and Kugel. All that stuff is separated off in a completely different part of the store. Uh, the difference here in the numbers is what we find so telling: local beer outsold the big boys by 122 transactions. For us, this, is not only, this not only proves that craft beer is booming with no signs of slowing down, but it also demonstrates the tremendous support for local craft beer here in the tri-state because that is every, like our local craft brewers 
were outselling the national craft brewers. So I have to imagine that there are people that go into the party stores, that go into like you know the liquor barn that I go to, you know, liquor stores across the country that have have you know local craft beer for whatever it is, and people who never ever walk near that aisle and they just I need my I need my my Miller Lite and my you know whatever else they pick up, and like that that makes me a little sad actually. <laughs> Uh, that that, but it sounds like there's a lot more people going to these stores now, going or at the very least going to the party stores, uh, picking up a whole big heap of uh, local craft stuff. Yeah, maybe you know these folks that are just getting their thirty pack of whatever uh, yellow water they want to pick up, uh, <laughs> go into the the local Get, gas station rather getting than getting there. Yeah, go, yeah, go to the local gas station to pick up their natty ice. <laughs> yeah, but this is still. I mean, the fact that local, uh, the craft thing, it it is kind of murky right now. But the fact that like for us around here, Mad Tree is one of the big names. The fact that they're outselling Founders, yeah, is kind yeah. of. I don't know. I find that to be a pretty big deal considering oh, yeah. no, still all it. the shelf space in the store. Most of it is taken up in that area by the national craft brands. They That's take up the true. majority of it. There's like a little center thing where the local stuff is put out front and center. But two-thirds of everything is the national stuff, but still the local stuff is outselling it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think a win for the local breweries, there is something like a, a two-to-one even. If, if half of the transactions, or if they had half as many transactions as a national brewery, uh, that would be a win for them. To, so to see that they're actually beating the national level breweries, that's a uh, that's a big key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a really cool thing, though. Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, that they're giving up these numbers. That, that yeah. you know, they're actually watching this, and that enough to be like, hey, the people on our craft beer mailing list would want to know about this. <laughs> yeah, you guys aren't normally the Bud Miller Coors folks um, if yeah. you've signed up for a beer mailing list. Yeah. yeah this is probably true. <laughs> Drink with me, friend. Casey, why don't you I... give us... Go ahead and start us in this. Yeah, so like I said, the Airwaves is the beer that I chose to drink tonight. Um, from Flying Dog Brewery, it was the commemorative bottle for the 2016 conference. Um, hops were Centennial, Citra Galaxy, and Mosaic, brewed by Matt Brophy, head brewer there. Um, malts was 100% Simpsons Morris Otter, and then they used a proprietary lager strain for the beer. It came in at 7.1%. Um, IBUs were 33 SRM's 11, so it actually had a color quite close to, uh, very close to some of those beer waters that uh, you can get. Um, key here that I forgot to mention this earlier, one of the big things that's starting to come out in data is that IBUs are starting to become less emphasized. Hmm. So yeah. IBUs tell you how many bittering, bittering units there are in a beer, but they don't actually tell you how bitter a beer is. It's starting to, the data is starting to show, or has been showing, but it, it you know. Um, different hops actually produce bitterness in a different intensity. So what you can look forward to forward to in the next couple of years is more of a movement to um, just sh- saying how bitter something is rather than giving you an IBU number. Huh. Okay. 
I mean, that'll help. A, a lot of beers aren't even giving that number. Yeah. Anyway How often right do now? you get something that says it's 40, 50 IBUs and you're like, I don't even taste bitterness? Yeah. Right, yeah. No. We've, there's been a few of those. I was like, I mean, this doesn't taste bitter at all, but it's supposed to, you know, be yeah. high on the, well, like, um, uh, the KBS is like a 70 IBU. But... Exactly. And it's, it's hidden behind some other stuff, but they are also probably using hops that are a very mild bitterness. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, well, I've been drinking uh, the Bell's Special Double Cream Stout. The mm. last one I had in the refrigerator, and I was like, yeah, let's, let's break it out for this. Uh, you know, around uh, 6.1 ABV. Uh, it's a It's got a rate beer score uh, overall of 99, and uh, for its style, 100. I was like, yeah, no, I... I do love I do love their special double cream stout. It is it is really smooth and it's been gone for like twenty, thirty minutes. <laughs> uh like I tried to slow down like yeah, just 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 a little bit and then I'd get it up to my lips and it's like no go 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 stop stop it's but it's too good. <laughs> yeah, uh there's not a whole lot more I could say about this. Uh the I you know what? I don't think I even tried this when me and Casey were at Bell's a year or so ago. No, I don't think uh I don't remember that one being one of those that we tried. Like I remember having like their Kalamazoo stout and some of their other stuff. This was before your flight. Yeah, this was before your your Bell's embargo. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it was before they had the lawsuit. Right. Uh I I I quite enjoyed it. It it was nice. I brought it one time, it and left hand nitro to a to a beer tasting comp like a, a it was a, a weird party night where they're like, Here, bring some beer. Whoever uh like we'll have a beer tasting, whoever brings the best beer gets all the leftover beer that we have. So I brought left hand nitro I brought left hand uh nitro stout and Bell's double cream stout and those were number one and number two on everyone's list. <laughs> and went just, just bring me those, bring me those beers. <laughs> bring me all the leftovers. I had a case by the end of that. <laughs> Jeez, it took forever to get rid of that because we weren't recording a podcast then. <laughs> Goes real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you guys? Uh, let's see. Well, to keep with uh, Cincinnati Beer Week, I am having the only Cincinnati Beer Week beer that is being bottled. It is over under lager aged with mulberry wood. And Ooh. it is a collaboration from Listerman Brewing Company, Urban Artifact, Mad Tree Brewing, and Dogberry. And I had never heard of Dogberry, but they are in the area and expanding and growing. And this one is 6.2% on your ABV and only 30 IBUs. And it is nice. It's actually the second. There were four, I think it was four collaboration beers done for Cincinnati Beer Week. This is the second one I've had today. Braxton did a Mexican lager with agave. I can't remember who their partners were with that. But it was, uh, going into it, I was like, I have no idea what to expect with this. And I was pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Like this, this one sounds okay. When you said agave, I just immediately went, that was uh, interesting. No, the mulberry wood. I mean, this is it's a really solid lager. 
that they decided to present. And when you hear the breweries that were involved, it's kind of odd. Uh, Dogberry, I'm not very certain, but I do know Urban Artifact, their speciality is sours. Mm. So I really, like, there was nothing sour to do with this, so... <laughs> so you should do one of two things while drinking this, drinking this beer. Either uh, wind up a jack-in-the-box, or... Uh, Get a weasel, a monkey, and a mulberry bush. <laughs> Do all the chasing. Oh. All right, and uh, I am not drinking anything except water because I am super dehydrated. That's <laughs> that's quitter talk. Chris, go get her a beer. The fridge is quite full. I had to turn down several uh, things at the liquor store because, I was like, no, no, the fridge is full. <laughs> Physically yeah, cannot fit anything. I, else. I may have brought beer up there to drink last week and forgot to. Open yeah, it you up. left the Three Eyed Raven when you took off that morning. Uh, okay, I had to leave and I was hungover. Uh, yeah, I make no. There were no regrets. It's totally fine. Well, I loaded things out of the uh, beer cellar into the fridge for us all to drink too, but it was just no. We were we were too tired when we got back. It just wasn't happening. And now the fridge we're too is all tired. We were afraid of getting way too drunk before anything else happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's all right, Brittany. You can drink water. I understand. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. Um, Sometimes. I'm just saying you could also have water and malt and barley <laughs> and, and hops. hops. Right, right. Um, yeah, I've kind of definitely had a lot today otherwise. Yeah. So, Yeah. All right. So let's just, uh, I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Casey Price. All right. Bye, Bye, everybody. Oh.